Hey, everybody, this is Evan Wickham. Thanks so much for listening to the Park Hill Church podcast. As you can tell, we are not like live on a Sunday or anything right now. Normally, the episodes come to you from our Sunday gatherings, but once in a while, uh, we like to have conversations with friends of the church and specialists in their field to help us think through some of the things we talk about on Sunday, but think them through more deeply in a conversation format. So, we have this summer, we have resurrected our Conversations podcast series. So, season one of that was when we first planted the church, and it was great. And we're uh, trucking through season two now, and we have with us on our podcast, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. How are you, Preston? It's just Preston. Yeah, I'm doing good. (laughs) No doctor, no sprinkle. Just Preston. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) My kids remind me, uh, Dad, you're not a real doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Today... I wanted Preston to come and speak to uh, what nonviolence is and what it means to follow Jesus in America. Um, Wow. Yeah, and we're a church plant in San Diego, which is a a military town, just so many beautiful people that we've uh, been able to fellowship with, pray with, worship with, that have direct ties to the military, that are in the military. We, We literally gather in the old Naval Training Center of San Diego in Liberty Station, um which was like a headquarter for naval operations for for like 80% of the 20th century. And now it's a bunch of like cool restaurants and stuff, but um, <laughs> and a wedding venue where we gather in on Sunday. And so mili- militarism, it runs deep in, in San Diego's blood. Um, and I thought Preston would be a great guy to help us unpack last Sunday, because last Sunday we, we looked at Matthew 26 and we saw Jesus in the middle of his arrest, taking a teaching moment with his disciples. <laughs> like chaos, someone gets their ear hacked off, and Jesus says, hold on, everybody wait, pause. Put away your sword. Um, and, then, and then he sets out a principle. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And we talked about enemy love for a while on Sunday. And uh, just so many questions that come out of that, that Preston has been giving his life to helping people think through. So I want to say, first of all, thank you, Preston, for taking the time for our community. Yeah, for having me on, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, so I have in my hand a book right here. You can see it, Preston, over the screen. <laughs> this book <laughs> is the best book I know of on a biblical theology of violence and what, wow. it, what it looks like for God's people to operate in a world full of violence from Genesis 6 on, from Genesis 4 on. Um, and so I'd love for you just to kind of uh, maybe summarize the book. What what led you to write a book about this? Because you don't strike me. You don't strike many people at first glance as a person who would be a pacifist. <laughs> or, I got or, questions about that, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, seriously. Uh, like, um, like what? Like, I know what you're getting at, and uh, yeah. So to begin, there's there's nothing. Um in me emotionally, politically, psychologically, that has this kind of natural aversion to, to violence. Um, and that, that doesn't, I don't even know if that matters. I don't know if it matters at all, um, except that there is this stereotype that you have certain kinds of people that are naturally 
not into violence um and therefore they build their theology around their own kind of uh personal feeling yeah and then you have people who are you know do the same in the opposite direction and um i came at this question of and the question let's just be specific the question is well, there's, there's many different ways of framing the question and how you frame it might control the discussion. But the way I frame it is, is, is violence a Christian way to confront evil? I like to put it in theological categories because that's really, yeah, that, that, that's theologically describing what we often, you know, say in practice, you know, if the guy comes in my door and is going to rape my family or whatever, like, like that, what's the theological category is that that's, that's evil that needs to be confronted and stopped. So what is the Christian means of confronting evil? Is it using violence or not using violence? Um, so, uh, man, I'm already off the rails. So let me go back to your, to your question. Yes. I don't, um, um, I don't have any natural aversion to, using yeah. violence to stop somebody in fact quite the opposite i i watch movies that are filled with like vengeance like i don't know taken or gladiator and it's it 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 excites me it energizes me like i, I actually i'm naturally prone to say yes to that i watch you know commercials that adver- advertise the marines you know with the chiseled jawline and you know this hyper disciplined person that's going to go sacrifice himself for the freedom of our country and all that it just excites me like I, I i'm energized by that in a very natural way now th- that doesn't mean it's right or wrong we as christians we have to go back to the scripture and see d- does god want christians to use violence to confront evil so all that long story short when i approached the question that question and said what does the bible actually have to say about this yeah almost to my own surprise i was shocked yeah how compelling the view is that god doesn't want christians to use violence to confront yeah yeah so in reading this book fight i mean it's soul stirring how much scripture is in this book um Mm. it's just bible and when i say biblical theology (laughs) i mean that in the technical term like you you take the canon of scripture you look at the sum total of um the biblical data on on this top this topic um and we love to talk about the Bible as uh, something Jesus trusted in, um, and Jesus trusted his Bible was the Old Testament, um, and, yeah. then, and then he commissioned his apostolic delegates to write the New Testament. And so it's it's uh, when you take that whole base of information in Genesis to Revelation, um, you did it so well in this book. Mm, um, I appreciate because usually when you, when people talk about this issue, they start with with like an emotional story. Um, or they yeah. start with, or they just start with Sermon on the Mount and never leave it, or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you looked at the, the whole canon, which I so appreciate, and I think it makes it helpful for the entire church from all different yeah. different traditions to come at this conversation. And go, okay, we have a touchstone together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, like you, you live in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't, and you have you you own guns. I own some guns, yeah. <laughs> and um, and you like play. I just don't shoot people with them. Yeah. <laughs> they shoot like wolves or something. I, I, so, yeah, I um, I don't make a one-to-one correlation between guns intrinsically and violence. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap there, but I still, um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with hunting. I'm, I'm not a, uh, and, and no offense to those who are, but I'm not a, a vegan in principle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause some vegans would be in principle, like, because killing an animal is morally wrong. Others right. are just health reasons. Um, so unless you are a vegan in principle, you shouldn't have, like somebody's killing your steak, right? So either you can do it in its own natural habitat, which seems more ethical than buying meat from Walmart with those rays and all kinds of unethical ways. So, right. Um, yeah. So all that to say, I have no problem with hunting. Um, I have no problem with say target shooting. I have no problem. I actually bought a handgun a couple of years ago, which handguns like, okay, yeah. shotgun I get, that's a hunting gun, whatever, a rifle, but handguns are for killing people. And I said, well, I live in Idaho where they have these massive wolves and I love to go hiking in the mountains and wolves are known for like tracking humans. Like they're not, they're one of the few animals that not only could kill you easily, but they're not scared of you. Like even bears are kind of scared of you unless you're between the bear and the cup. Anyway, long, long story short, um, yeah, I own a handgun. But if a, somebody broke into my home, it would be physically impossible for me to shoot them. Like my gun is on the other side of the house from my clip on the other side of the house from the ammunition, which I don't even know where that, you know, it's like, it's, it's impossible for my kids to, uh, stumble upon it for, for me to use it in, in, in an act of, uh, self-defense. Yeah. So before, anyway. before we define nonviolence or at least the position you hold yeah. and, uh, can you define violence? Because I feel like most people get tripped up there. Like what is yeah, violence really? Yeah. Like what Gosh, is violence? In the book you're holding, I, I spend a couple pages working through the definition of violence because it does get a little tricky. Now, well, for, first of all, let me let me make a distinction between physical violence and non-physical violence. Um, I think non-physical violence, um, emotional violence. You know, um, I mean, you you can uh, verbally send somebody to their grave by harassing them, harassing them, harassing them, causing suicidality to erupt. I mean, there, there's things you can do that could be categorized as violence that isn't necessarily physical violence. In terms of my book, I only focus on physical violence. Um, physical violence has to do with the intention of hurting somebody physically to the point of damaging them, destroying them. Like there, there, there is an intent here because you know, two people could take a very really sharp object and slice my skin. If one's a mugger and one's a doctor, <laughs> only one would be classified as a violent. I, I don't think my, my surgeon is acting violently on me when he's, you know, trying to remove a cancer or something. So, um, so there is, a, there is an intentionality there that you are trying to physically hurt somebody. I don't think all physical restraint would be violent. Okay. And I don't, and we're getting, we could get lost in the weeds here, you know, like I, I don't think, um, as somebody believes in nonviolence, I'm from physically restraining somebody, um, you know, if, if there was a situation where somebody was going to be harmed and, and, you know, intervention might include physical restraint. Now, how far do you go on that, man? I don't know. You know, it's like, can you bear hug him can you tackle him what if he scrapes his knee and I, it, honestly to, i'm not even that interested in going that down into the weeds because the the biggest problem in this conversation and and the evangelical approach to it is that evangelicals are can be um profoundly militaristic in in their spirit mm. 
um, of overpowering power with power, of overpowering violence with violence, of seeking revenge, of like there's just that spirit inside of us so that um, the problem isn't that, oh, you know, we're, we're a nonviolent people, but we will use violence as a last resort. Like right. that's what most Christians say. Well, what about this? What about these, you know, the guy trying to rape your family and all this stuff, you know, that they're, they're using scenarios where it's like a last resort. Like, okay, I get it where our posture should be nonviolent. I said, okay, but that's not the problem. The problem is the evangelical church is not just violence is a last resort. It is quite the opposite. Like <laughs> that there's a militaristic spirit that shapes the way we approach our neighbors, shapes the way we um, approach politics, shapes, I mean, shapes so much of our lives. And that was really the main, um, the main, my main passion is not to argue that every Christian should believe in absolute nonviolence. Okay. And that, that's my position. Um, but I don't, I don't. I don't expect every Christian to be there. I, I. I do want every Christian to see how profoundly incongruent it is to have this. This this deep well of of, of militarism in our spirits, in our hearts, in our emotions, mm. um, and 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 to see to see how that conflicts with the rhythm of the New Testament, and to see how profoundly it shapes so many areas, um, in in our lives. That's helpful. Uh, that distinction is helpful because I, what I've seen in our church is there's a tremendous willingness to have open conversations with with differing opinions and um, and for you to leave that open and to say your personal conviction is that violence in any form is incompatible with the way of Jesus for you uh, and then but then to say however <laughs> you would prophetically re- call all Christians to renounce the spirit of militarism. That's right. that's a profound distinction. I think that helps actually a lot yeah. of people. I wish I made that distinction more in the book because I feel like I did make it, but I feel like I did lean more heavily on arguing for a biblical case for absolute nonviolence on an individual level. Um, and I wish that I had made, maybe more often made the distinction between, look, if, if, if you're not quite there yet, I get it. it there are some complicated you know, violence is a last resort and less two evils. And there's, you know, so I, and I think there can be good arguments made for that, for violence to be used in a, in a last kind of resort. Yeah. Um, I, I disagree with it. And I wrestle with that, but I mean, I, I, I can, I can see where somebody would take the Bible seriously and get that where I see is, but the spirit, the militaristic spirit, again, I mean, we can define that just, just overcoming power with power that, um, overcoming evil with, you know, um, yeah, natural strength or yeah, power. Where, where, um, where sacrifice and suffering are not viewed as theologically powerful against evil, even though Jesus, it's the very means by which he defeated evil, was yeah. through suffering and perceived weakness. You know, Amen. so love that. it's that 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 upside down nature of how Christians are called to defeat and confront evil. Yes. That, that, that big picture is what I want Christians to see. Yeah, yeah, I love it and I hate it. So, <laughs> so hard, so hard to like, a, like be a lamb led to the slaughter. And, and we can, we, yeah. and this, this is actually, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask a question at the end where I've, I think I've failed to ask this question more often, but I'm gonna hold off on it. The three main questions I hear in this conversation it's like, what about protecting my family? And then, is it wrong to be in the military or similarly in the police yeah. force? And then, 
The, what about the Old Testament? It's incredibly violent, and God seems to like approve it. So those yeah. two, it's like it's like home protection, mm-hmm. joining the forces, Old Testament, bro. Come on. Yeah. Those three. He, okay, so <laughs> I like the last question better than the first. Well, no, sorry. I want to prioritize the last question before the first two because this is what often happens in this conversation is you have, and I, I'm going to try not to be cynical here, but sometimes people give me a lot of material to work with. I, you know, you have within the evangelical, within Christian evangelicalism where people are pounding the pulpits on being biblical, 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 right? We're biblical. We preach verse by verse and, and those people are not biblical and we're biblical. And, and then all of a sudden the question of violence comes up and that whole paradigm just gets tossed out the window. Mm. People think violence can Christians use violence? Well, if somebody's breaking into my home, da, 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 it's like, what about Genesis through Revelation? You ever, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> what if we actually go to the Bible first? Let's just, let's set aside the killer at the door. Let's just set him aside. He's mm. knocking. He's not going to come in yet. But let's actually go thoroughly through Genesis to Revelation and use the Bible to form our ethical response to whether we would use violence to stop the guy at the door. I've I've laid that out to biblical, biblical, biblical Christians, and they look at me like, why would we do that? Like, they almost say that. One guy was speaking at a church in Arizona, and a guy stood up halfway through, and he says, we're not actually asking this question, are we? And the question was, what does the Bible actually say we should do in this situation? (laughs) He was like, for him, it was such a given. Wow. That to ask, what does the Bible say about this? It was like, well, why? I can't, I'm offended we would even ask that question. We would even question whether... We should kill the guy trying to rape our family or whatever. Wow. So I I, I don't um, I just I'm just not a fan of forming our ethical systems based on hypothetical scenarios. Like we yeah. just don't. Where else do we do that? What I mean, what if we did that with sexuality? What if we did that with all these other <laughs> yeah. moral moral things? What if we said, yeah, but this person's a good person? You know, what if we actually took you know, relationships and experiences and use that as a foundation, hypothetical scenarios, use that as a foundation, and then read that back in the Bible. We'd be accused of being a liberal, right? But but then when it comes to this conversation, it's like we just flip the whole thing around. We use the scenarios to form our views. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, no. I'm taking too much time with that's, each of your questions. So That's great. Um, you start with it, the text. Yes. When it comes to those first two questions, I'm going to... I, 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 it's almost like we can't answer that until we go Genesis to Revelation. And then that's why I, I can tell you what I would say to those situations because I, I've done that work, but I would, I'd encourage any Christian that if before they have a passionate answer about what they would do with um, the killer at the door defending their family or, or whether it's okay to serve in the military or not, I, I would just encourage them to go Genesis to Revelation to, to form their foundation from which they're going to respond to that um violence in the old testament is a tough one and people in the non-violent camp uh will respond to that differently um i take what's called a a trajectory approach to to ethics meaning the old testament doesn't reveal to us the end all of how god wants christians to live um and that this is not, uh, if, 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 you're, if you're not aware of this conversation, this, this is a very common way in which evangelicals approach the Old Testament. Yeah, it's great. That the Old Testament gives us God meeting Israel where they are at. Right. Um, and then 
slowly bringing them along to where he wants them to be. Yeah. And we see these kind of trajectories uh, on other issues like the treatment of women. The, the Old Testament has some, look, pretty misogynist <laughs> statements about women. There's just no way around that. Now, they're better than the ancient Near East view of women. It's an improvement. But if you compare the Gospels and the Old Testament law, you're going to see a trajectory moving towards a much higher view of women, a, a much more liberating view. You see it with slavery, same thing. And and I would say you see this very same thing with violence. God meets Israel where they're at um, and doesn't, if I can say, he sort of tolerates violence during most of the Old Testament time period. But you can even see through the prophets God moving Israel away from that. I mean, Isaiah, if you bring the violence question to the book of Isaiah, uh, which few people read Isaiah through that lens, it's it's... He's he's not quite a pacifist, but I mean he's challenging some of these underlying militaristic assumptions of Israel. It's really fascinating. Yeah, when Messiah comes, he's gonna he's gonna change their tools of warfare in Isaiah. Yeah, in, into yeah, exactly. Into yeah, ha- hammer tools. your swords into plowshare like that. But in that really poetic statement, is almost captures a theme in Isaiah. This kind of reversal in in how God is going to be calling his his new covenant people to be. Um, when the yeah. Messiah returns. Okay, so the, Bi- uh, the Bible has this trajectory that lands on Jesus. Uh, but what about since Jesus? So let's just talk really quickly about church history, if we can. Um, si- since it's Jesus. fascinating, yeah. Yeah, since Jesus, um, since the apostles. Um, I mean, how, how has this view survived or not survived, and why? Yes. I, I will give the shortest summary I could, I could try, try to give in, in a very big question here. Um, few people would question whether Jesus advocated for nonviolence. That that seems, well, apart from a verse here or there where it might be a question, most people would be, oh man, yeah, Jesus is is really advocates for nonviolence um, on, on the whole. Let's just say that. The apostles seem to resonate with that. Romans 12 and the book of Hebrews talks about it. Um, the rest of the New Testament, even the book of Revelation, and we can, that's maybe a whole other story, the book of Revelation is profoundly nonviolent in terms of how it's calling believers to live. Um, so you have the rest of the New Testament resonates with the nonviolent rhythm of Jesus. What's fascinating is that pre-Constantine, okay, so for the first 300 years of the early church, as far as we can tell from the writings we have, from those who address the question of violence, or specifically the questions of the question of killing, should Christians ever kill? It's one of the most remarkable, uniform beliefs among the very diverse early church that Christians, under no circumstance, should ever kill. It's crazy that there's unity on that. It's one of the few. They couldn't even agree on what books belong in the Bible. They didn't agree on like, you know, the Gnostics and the Orthodox. You know, it's like there, there was. I mean. Orthodoxy was a hot mess, right? I mean, it was all over the map, largely because you have segmented pockets of Christianity. They couldn't even get together and really have councils and talk through these things. But in the midst of one of the most diverse, theologically diverse time periods of Christianity, one of one of the only things that all Christians, as far as we can tell, all Christian leaders who were addressed this question, is that Christians should never kill. Good killing, bad killing, whatever that even means, like never. It's it's an absolute. Constantine comes on, long story short, within a few decades, 
the empire kind of is merged now with the church. And so no longer do you have the church in a position of weakness and underneath the political regime. Now the political regime and the church is kind of in bed with each other. And it's in that wake that you have Ambrose and, uh, or, or specifically Augustine, um, who now they have to work out a kind of just war theory because since the church is the state and the state is the church and the state needs to defend itself, um, nonviolence isn't an option anymore. <laughs> it's okay. just not a... <laughs> okay, so so just war theory, it's inception. It's inception was right about yes. then through Augustine. And so where where is that view today? I mean... I've heard you say before, just war and nonviolence, those two positions are basically the same. Yeah, All- they're a sneeze apart. <laughs> so the roots of just war theory, I believe, go back as far as Aristotle and others. And, and Ambrose and, and Ambrose was Augustine's mentor, if, if people don't know. Um, and so Ambrose and, and especially Augustine kind of took what was out there and really formed this kind of just war theory for the church. I mean, just war theory, and, and it's evolved over the last 1,500 years. So that, you know, the basic premise of just war theory is that war should be waged as an absolute last resort. And for a war to be just, uh, no, for instance, no, no, um, sub- no non-combatants should be targeted or killed. Um, you use all, you, you exhaust all other nonviolent means of resolving the conflict before you go to war. You use um, uh, proportionate means, meaning you don't. Um, um, oh gosh, like you, you don't use more power than you need to take care of the the conflict. You don't operate. You don't uh, engage in war out of revenge. Hmm. Um, wow. It's really t- as a last resort to de- to defend yourself against like an invading army or something. And then there's other criteria. So, all, but so the basic heartbeat behind just war. And this comes from Arthur Holmes in, in, a, in a Four Views on War book. Um, who, and, and Arthur Holmes is arguing for just war theory. And he begins by saying war is evil, violence is evil. His whole first paragraph is this is bad, this is terrible, da 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 However, in a broken society, sometimes as a last resort, we must use this as a, the lesser of two evils. But he still sees war as intrinsically evil, bad, it's just in some rare cases, it might be the lesser of the two evils. Yeah. So, so maybe Christians resonate with that. I grew up in an environment that didn't see war as intrinsically evil. I grew up getting excited when we invaded well, during Desert Storm. That was, I was a high school freshman when we invaded Desert Storm. And I was so excited. I get to live through a war. Oh, I, would, I would go and watch <laughs> the tanks moving in and, you know, that SOB, Saddam, we're going to do this. And, man, we better just go after his family. Like, there, I, there was no and, – and that was the, the flavor of, Christ, of the Christian world I was in. It was like, no, we need to go and attack this person and maybe wipe every Arab off the face of the earth and that would be a good thing. You know, like, we didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't hear anybody really care too much about possible civilian casualties. I didn't – and it's like, wait a minute. I mean, we <laughs> – People will say they believe in just war, but I think that they don't see war as the possible last resort, lesser two evils. They see it as really the best way to confront the. the yeah. Leader. So, one question that one of our leaders had for you today, and I'm actually getting texts right now as we're talking from them. Just ask this, ask this. Um, 
one one question is what is the difference between justice and vengeance like biblically mm. let me say this this isn't i don't think directly answering it well it kind of, it kind of it's answering a piece of it um justice can be achieved nonviolently it's much more likely to achieve justice through nonviolent means whereas vengeance often includes violence in fact i, I would say that nonviolent um attempts at achieving justice are not only more christian but also more successful mm, mm. mlk right i mean gandhi uh we can um ron sider has a book he has came out with a new one actually but ron sider's got a book um I think it's called nonviolent action where he, he looks at dozens of different scenarios, dozens where um, in the 20th century alone, where for instance, an evil ruler, a dictator was just oppressing the people. There was lots of injustices happening and the oppressors tried to use violence to stop him and it didn't work. It magnified the violence. Now more, there's more death, more harm. But when they resorted to nonviolent means within sometimes a week, Two weeks, the whole evil regime fell apart. Um, now, I'm, I'm not. Wow. I, let me caveat that with a huge footnote saying I don't think we should believe in nonviolence because it's more efficient or more effective, but because it's the most faithful to the way God calls us to live. So I don't want to rely upon the possible effectiveness, but I do like to bring that in that um, historically um, and typically nonviolent approaches to justice oftentimes work much more than violent attempts. So, so you can, all that say in summary, you can achieve justice. You should achieve justice through nonviolence. Um, whereas vengeance, I, yeah, I guess, vengeance is easy. Cause that's just flat out. It's ruled out. That's just, right. you can't be a Christian and not right, agree right. with that. It, but most people would say, okay, I, I, so I think what maybe the question is getting at is some people say, okay, I agree that violence in, in service of vengeance is wrong, but what about um, violence that's defending the innocent, that's, that's trying to achieve justice, not that's vengeance? Gr and that's question. what I would say. I still don't I, don't, I don't have a Bible verse. I don't have a New Testament verse <laughs> that I can go to where Christians are called to use violence to achieve justice. Achieve justice? Absolutely. Um, use violence as a means. I don't. I don't see that in, in the New Testament. Okay. So, and and this is this feeds into the last question that I think is a great one that I don't ask enough. Um, how can we communicate this uh, nonviolence, the nonviolent way of Jesus, in a way that doesn't further segregate like minorities? Because it can seem to be a conversation kind of a conversation of privilege coming from someone who has the advantage of growing up in a relatively safe environment. Yeah. Um, you know, more specifically, yeah. like lower income communities tend to need to live on the defense or feel they need to because of just the station of life. Yeah. Um, and so nonviolence can feel like a non-option and why would, wow. Yeah. Like, that's, like it's a privilege to even discuss this yeah. right now. Um, that, that's it's a good question. It's a good question. I think some of the underlying assumptions that build into the very question are wrong-headed. Okay. Um, this is one re one of the reasons why I looked at the early church in the book. Yeah. In fact, wow. I even begin. I open it up. I said it's one thing for a bunch of pacifists in Indiana to talk about nonviolence. What about talking about nonviolence when you got a sword at your neck? You know. Well, that's exactly the early church. They were not in a position of privilege. Um, they were 
African, they were Arab, they were European. I mean, they were, they were multi-ethnic. They absolutely had no power. Um, and they lived this stuff out on a day-to-day level. They talked about nonviolence with a sword at their back. So um, I think it's helpful to... Uh, so, I, so my first response to the question is, yeah, let's look at Christians, specifically the early church, um, that didn't use privilege as a way to reinterpret the New Testament or whatever. Um, I also go to like, I mean, again, Gandhi and MLK and some of the great leaders of nonviolent um, action or revolutions were... <laughs> We're coming from a position of weakness and powerlessness, you know, and actually they use nonviolence as, I mean, King talks about this, man. It's, it's, it's profound. I mean, he, he even said in a sermon, I forgot which one, um, I think it's called love your enemy. Uh, he's like, people don't, people don't, people know how to respond to violence. Um, you know, you you fight back, and they'll just release the bigger hounds, the the more police, whatever force, and they'll just they'll come down harder on you. But they don't know what to do with nonviolence. Um, and, and so nonviolence can be the secret power that people in places with without privilege can access. Um, one of the most fascinating nonviolent revolts happened with a bunch of women in i think it was liberia they went on a a sex strike <laughs> i mean here's a bunch of women in, in a culture where they were the definition of not having privilege or, or power and yet they got creative and says oh we, we got we got power we got nonviolent power in ways that we don't realize and they ended whatever they're the, they were sick and tired of the men killing each other and husbands killing e- each other's husbands and they said all right we're fed up with this <laughs> we're gonna not have sex with anybody until you guys stop it and yeah that lasted about a week until people said all right <laughs> or what don't call me on the detail it's cider talks about it it's, it is yeah it is but so all, all that to say yeah i think that nonviolence is is a powerful means which people without privilege can use to achieve justice yeah but but i i, I do agree that it can become annoying for people like me and you yeah uh, to talk about this. And this is why I want to let those other uh, voices speak for themselves and show this isn't just a bunch of white privileged people telling everybody, oh, just make sure you respond nonviolently while we, we're not put in a situation where we we might, you know, not have to do that. Yeah, yeah. You hit on something I think is a common misconception that I, I always run into. I'm not an expert. I haven't given my life to studying it like you have. But what I've heard a lot is like, so you just you just want to lay around and pray in like yeah. as if prayer is doing nothing in itself but <laughs> but you just want to lay around and pray while everything around you goes goes to hell from violence and you could have done something don't you feel guilty about that and and Brashear is one of my academic mentors people often conf- he says people often confuse passive pacifism with passiveism as if yeah. Jesus just wanted you to be passive where it's actually Jesus is calling you to a third way it's not it's not always blow their head off or or be passive and lay around and trust God only or whatever that means. Yeah. But there's this third way of creative, aggressive love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it like that example of those women going on a sex strike. It's like we're that's creative. <laughs> that's totally creative and effective. 
and ultimately loving to their entire community. Um, that's why I don't like the term pa- people say, are you a pacifist? And that's why I typically avoid that term because it's so closely connected with being, being passive. Where again, if we frame the question through a theological lens, it's not. The question is not, should Christians confront evil? Of course. It's the means by which we use to confront evil. We should aggressively, aggressively, even, I mean, I think Martin Luther King even said militantly (laughs) uh, confront evil. But I want to argue for using a more powerful means in confronting evil, namely nonviolent means. But that's a categorical shift that a lot of people have to make because we're so pre-programmed, we're so bathed in this ideology that weakness and suffering does not destroy evil even, even though i mean i even though jesus said it did <laughs> yeah and that, that's why that that's did. why you named your book what you named it fight like yes exactly yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so before we let people know where they can find your material and support you and listen to more of your work i would love to hear from you one last thing like what would you tell a church like ours 18 months into our life together as a church um you spoke at our church a year ago it was wonderful it was amazing it was challenging um, and, and we'd love to have you back soon, hopefully, but what would you say now? Like if you're there on a Sunday, how would you charge us to continue to wade into these waters? That's a great question. Um, we talked about this before. Um, I think it was your wife, right? Sandy that said, Evan, you've been thinking through this stuff for 10 years. You can't expect people to change in one sermon. You know, I think pastorally, not expecting people to have such a drastic change in how they approach the topic that they may have been uh, bathed in a, in a different way of thinking for their whole lives, you know? Um, that would that'd be one. So I, I don't, and, and may, maybe I violated this in my own sermon. I, I would have to go back and listen to it. I, I, my intention was not to drop some massive bomb and get people from point A to point Z, but to get them from point A to point B, you know, or, yeah. or maybe take, maybe, maybe just be motivated to take their assumptions about this conversation back to scripture. If I can do that, it, that to me, that that's a win. I also, um, and I don't know if I did this in the book as well as I would now, if I rewrote it, I really want to make sure I honor um, people who I'm, ultimately might be disagreeing with you know um you know people ask me how do you treat you know what do you do on veterans day memorial day and and how do you treat people who have served their entire lives in, in the military and stuff and and i think now i take the position of of a, a whole lot more honor and respect um because yeah, my, my my battle if, if you can call it a battle my i don't know my theological tension you know is not so much with the people that have been raised in a particular way of thinking. It's the system, the ideological system that has made it to where Christians can go and be combatants in the military without somebody ever even at least saying, hey, should we at least look at the New Testament and see if this is something God would have you to do? Just raising that question. Most people never even had a Christian leader that would, you know, they, they were just like, it was like unilateral celebration. No ethical questions were ever raised. So it's like, how, I don't place any fault in somebody who, yeah. well, any fault. I, I, we're all moral agents, but I mean, I, I, my main problem is with this 
this this system it's it's with it's with it's the water we're swimming in that um you know um that i think needs to be at least questioned uh, or at least brought back to scripture so yeah a lot more honor um uh i and also i would as i said before my main goal is that any christian church all christian churches all who say they're christian read the bible would see nonviolent as the dominant rhythm in which they should live and that we would not have a militaristic spirit. To me, that is pretty black and white in the New Testament. Um, if I was in your shoes, and I know because you, you have leaders on different sides of this, you're not on the same page, certainly your congregation, um, I would not make it look like people who don't hold to an, a view of absolute nonviolence are like second-class citizens, are not quite with us, whatever. Like I, I Unless you're in Canada or something like <laughs> I I don't know how or Anabaptist. I don't, I don't know how realistic it is to have like the whole church or most of the church on the exact same page. Like in America, that that's in a non-denominational eclectic church. Like I would value the eclectic nature of the church more than making sure everybody is advocating for absolute nonviolence. Um, but that militaristic spirit, yeah. Christians are called to love their enemies. Period. We are called to suffer, to embody weakness, and to not overpower power with power and um, yeah, those those big broader themes I, w- I would I would preach pretty hard on. So in in humility and and even and even still giving space for people to wrestle through that and and not try to force it down their throats. Yeah, so good. Thanks so much, Preston. If you want to follow Preston or his work, I highly recommend you do. Uh, Preston, why don't you let people know where to find? Yeah, if you just Google Preston Sprinkle, it'll probably take you to my website, PrestonSprinkle.com. Uh, I do most of my Oh, and then my podcast, Theology in a Raw. So my ongoing work, if you want to call it that, would be a a weekly podcast, Theology in a Raw. That's where my primary weekly rhythm is. I do blog periodically um, at my organization's website, centerforfaith.com. In fact, I'm beginning today, a whole series on gender. um, Wow. Which will, yeah, if I'm still alive in the next six months, then maybe I'll come down and... (laughs) Um, but yeah, so so most of my blogging is done on thecenterforfaith.com if if I blog. Yeah. yeah, and if you want to support Preston, I would love I would love for all, a lot of us just get out there and support him on Patreon. Um, it's just like it's it's just spelled like it sounds. Patreon.com. Uh, you can get access to some extra podcasts and blogs and articles that he writes just for listeners. Um, Preston, I wanted to thank you personally for being a great friend and for being a friend of the church and for pouring your life out for so many local communities and equipping us well. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.